Make a move it, then she'll call him. Forest fires, Google's ballin'. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. I think this is turning into my own RPG a day month, or at least podcast a day month. I don't know how long I can keep this up, but um, I'm doing pretty well on the um, album a day challenge. So um, this was inspired by Spencer from Keep Off the Borderlands, uh, who I'm friends, friends with on Facebook. And he decided to go past the 10. Now, you know, there's this thing going around where you have to post every day, you have to post an album for 10 days, the you know, important albums in your life. And because we're in the middle of lockdown, Spencer just decided to keep going. And I think he's up to 95 now or something. And um, I, I started a few days after him and I'm up to um, like 90 or something. And um, actually, Spencer and I's musical taste overlap quite considerably. Um, I, I think we, we must have been separated at birth musically. Um, both pretty huge hip-hop fans from back in the day. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think my taste veer more into the sort of psychedelia hippie side, but I think he's also kind of into that. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be good to do a comparison at the end. Uh, and actually, it's kind of a good record for the future. You know, what were... You know, I'll get to 100 and maybe I'll keep going. And what, what were the top... 100 albums of my of my life um i know a lot of magazines do that sort of list thing but um it's kind of interesting to do it yourself and yes yeah, it made me realize i i'm not as into music as i used to be i used to be so into music um it was probably the most important thing in my life at one point um i used to go to concerts all the time i used to spend all my spare money on on albums um this was kind of after my after my D and D youth, um, my D and D early early teen years, uh, music took over as the passion and the obsession. Um, but yeah, I I don't really listen to a lot of music anymore, and it's kind of sad. But it's been good doing this thing because um, it's been good doing this this you know album a day thing because it's actually made me go back and listen to a lot of those albums that that I used to love so much and probably haven't listened to in a decade. Um, I'm not going to say what any of them are. That's not. This is not the forum for that. Who gives a shit, frankly? But um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually good. It's made me start listening to music again. You know, if nothing else, um, I'm now, now listening to a lot more of the jam than I used than, than I have in a long, long time. So that can only be a good thing. Only be a good thing. So um, why am I talking about this? <laughs> I don't know. It's because I guess I'm podcasting every day as well and getting into these rhythms and. Um, the next game I want to talk about is Tales from the Loop. Now, I did talk quite a lot about this on Che Webster's podcast. At least I did an interview. Now, as I understand it, the sound quality on his end was tragic. So whether he can rescue anything from that and even put up a, a, the, the interview, I, I don't know. Che, good luck with that, mate. Um, we, we had a number of technical difficulties during the recording. I, I was recording on my local computer, so I just sent him the file. So my end is all right, but whether he can actually stitch together anything meaningful, I don't know. 
but we talked a lot there. I talked a lot there about about the dice telling the story and about and about tales from the loop. Um, I, I made some kind of offhand comment about the dice telling the story. Um, go back to fudging dice again, let's say. And um, for me, tales from the loop is very much. Uh, the heart of that, uh, at least in the way that the way that I consider storytelling, and the way I consider the importance or not or lack of importance of rolling dice at various points, and the game that I ran was I'd I'd, I'd ha- I, I I don't know why I bought it. I think I bought it on a whim. The Tales from the Loop. Um, I, I I loved the artwork as soon as I saw it. The Simon Stallenhag beautiful artwork of um, that alternative 80s in in Sweden and the Malaran Islands and the beautiful landscapes and you know this very mundane scenes punctuated with with robots and strange machinery and and weird gravitational effects and and you know an amazing imagination that man has and it inspired um, just a raft of stuff because it was so powerful and so unique and, and initially inspired the role-playing game which is very much based on on the artwork and then more latterly it's influenced uh, it inspired the tv series which i think is is fantastic personally i think it's an amazing tv series and i, I think you should go and watch it but it really is nothing to do with the game you could say it's kind of like a different interpretation of his artwork so the game go, leans very heavily into this 80s nostalgia thing. Um, it's, it, it can be run in Sweden, in the Malaran Islands, but it also provides an alternate setting in, in um, Nevada, Boulder City, near, near um, Las Vegas, near, near, the, um, uh, near Lake Mead and, and uh, the Boulder Dam. And it, as I said, it leans very, very heavily into that 80s nostalgia. So it's very much about the music and the TV shows and the video games of the time and the tropes and the classic movies. And, um, but it fuses this otherworldly weirdness into it. I keep, I'm using that word a lot, otherworldly. Daniel Jones, whoever you are, you are a very clever man because otherworldly is, is a good word. Um, go and listen to Che's interview with him if you want to know more about what otherworldly really means. And... Um, and the TV show really doesn't. It, 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 it actually is set in this quite hard to pass time period, deliberately so. It sort of fluctuates between the 50s, 60s and the 80s and um, with some more modern stuff as well. So it's not really set in any time period. It's, it's kind of like, it's almost like the loop has created these this time ripple that just squashes up all these different eras and it never really specifies. Although characters do appear as young children and then much older, so you kind of know that there's there's this, let's say, 60s and 80s versions, but neither of them are entirely consistent to that era. However, in the, in the game, you very clearly set it in the 80s. Um, each of the character has, characters has a favorite song, which would be a classic song from the 80s. Each of them has, has a, um, uh, as a kind of key object, which, which will be a skateboard or a, or a you know, um, early microcomputer or, um, you know, a, a go-kart or, or, or whatever. Um, they're, they're, the character interactions are very much based on, on those coming-of-age stories, really. Um, you know, the, the, the touchstones for me are, you know, the Goonies 
or Stand By Me, which obviously is set a lot earlier, but, but um, that feeling of those Spielberg films, um, or, or, or maybe the more sort of latter in sort of reinterpretations of them with the 80s nostalgia, because cause it's full of those, those kind of nodding, knowing nods and winks towards those stories, but, but has more, I don't know, a bit more grit to them, a bit more postmodern irony to them. And I just picked the game up. I, I had it on my shelf for a long time. And then during, you know, just before lockdown, actually, I, I, we, we needed a new game with my gaming group um, uh, from Los Angeles. And we decided that as well as playing Traveller, we would also play Tales from the Loop as our Friday game. And we would, we would run both, 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 um, both scenarios, both adventures were broken up into chapters. So um, we could kind of in, inter, interleave them. We could, we could, you know, run Tales in the Loop for three weeks and then travel for three weeks. And Tales in the Loop was an immediate hit with all of us. In fact, several of them said, this is now our game. This is what we want our game to be. And it's a combination of the setting um, of the rule system. And I think of the 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 structure as as Che would have it, which I never really understood before, but now I truly do understand what he means by that. And the structure of it for me is actually what really makes it sing. Because it encourages it, it not just encourages it, it predicates a particular type of play that helps you to explore role playing in a really different way than, than any other game that I've ever ran or played. And I'm gonna go into it in a bit of detail, but essentially Essentially, what it does is it puts each player into a position where they have to explore that child, that, that preteen child's home life and relationships. And these are as important to the game as solving the mystery. And for me, that is so wonderful at evoking those, those, that, those movies and those and those books and those comics and, and and that whole era that that you know I think it, I think in the end it's a work of of actual genius I, I I really do because I never truly believed I don't think that system mattered <laughs> oh boy that's gonna cause that's gonna cause some some ears to prick up I really genuinely never thought that I thought the system and and how you play are separate things or at least I always felt it was more down to the people around the table way more down to the people around the table than the system and what I discovered by running Tales in the Loop is that actually the system totally changed the way you play because I was playing with the same group of players that I'd played two years of D&D with and the way that we played Tales in the Loop was completely different and it wasn't forced it wasn't unnatural it just came out of all of us and that is down to the system so what is it that got my group of well, reluctant role players, I would say. Um, uh, in the two years that we played Dungeons and Dragons, a couple of them were very, um, I suppose, into their characters. They they would always speak in first person. They would, um, you know, try and stay in character, have have very little out of character speech. But most of them were kind of wavering in between, and and perhaps a little less comfortable doing the characterization, the voices. And I think it's because, of course, a big part of D and D, it is, is not that, <laughs> is, 
um, narrating really what's happening during combat or, or, or other such things or doing skill skill checks. So there's a big piece of the game where you can enjoy yourself without without doing that. Tales from the Loop, on the other hand, is almost entirely based around playing your character and to some extent not being forced to but certainly being encouraged to do it in first person and and to um you know speak the lines as if as if it was that 13 14 year old kid with the skateboard and who's being bullied at school and <clears throat> and as i said the structure and i think it's more the structure than the system if that makes any sense because the system itself isn't that different i think from from quite a lot of other ones um you know you, you it's a dice pull mechanic depending on how many successes you get you know good or better things happen and if you fail bad things happen you can't actually ever die in tales from the loop which is interesting um, and I wonder if that maybe takes away some of the jeopardy, but but it's clearly these are kids. The kids in the movies don't die, or well, not typically. Well, I suppose there are a few where they do. Bridge, Bridge to Terabithia is one that, that springs to mind. But um, but the the idea of rolling dice and the level of success gives you narrative control is something that obviously powered by the apocalypse is is kind of centered around so this isn't a new idea by any means so i think it really is more the structure and 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 as i as i said earlier the the way that each adventure is set up that each story is set up is that it takes place in more or less the same landscape the same environment it's called the mystery landscape and either it's boulder city in nevada or it's the malaran islands in sweden and Everything that takes place is centered around the loop. The loop being this um, particle accelerator that has opened up access to all kinds of crazy new technologies and and, um, and new types of physics. And there's a lot of stuff around time travel as well. But the players don't really realize that until a bit later on. Um, so there's the mystery landscape. So this has a bunch of locations and people in it that may or may not come out in that particular adventure and um, but the way the adventure is actually structured is that individual there's a kind of a through line of the plot and then there are individual locations and characters that you can meet you don't have to meet them but you can meet them and then there's a countdown and there could be more than one countdown, but let's assume for for, for sake, simplicity's sake that there is a countdown. And the countdown is a sequence of maybe four, typically it's four um, key events that could happen anywhere at any time. And these um, and these advance the plot. And they're usually um, and, and they are all in fact designed to be in, um, escalating peril escalating tension so things start going weird um, because of uh, effects of the loop and then and then they get weirder and then things actually start to to head towards chaos and kind of regardless of what the kids do this countdown will will carry on and they can choose to intervene or they could not typically they do because you know we're playing a game and we want to we want to see the fun stuff that happens in it 
But then in between those scenes where they're interacting with the countdown, where they're interacting with the mystery, going to locations, interacting with NPCs, finding clues, getting information. In between, you have scenes of everyday life because these are kids and they go home for dinner <laughs> and they sleep at home um, most of the time. And if they don't, something pretty dramatic is going on. So, so it's really neatly um, constructed that you have these intense, weird scenes and then, and then you go home and you, and you have dinner with mum and dad um, or you're hanging out with your friends in, in the hideout or um, you're being bullied on the way home from school or you're, you're kind of shyly flirting with the, with the girl that works in the record shop or whatever. Um, and what I found is that these really contribute hugely to the sense of immersion and the creation of this world. The world really comes to life and and the narrative control very much goes to the players in this very organic way and and they're willing to take it. Players who I thought were very much not if that of that mind, who kind of wanted to follow the plot that I was putting in front of them in D&D, turned out that they were just as willing to drive the plot themselves if they're given the right tools to do it. And I, and I don't think Dungeons and Dragons and, and other types of games that I ran really do that. At least they don't they don't accommodate for it in a very good way. You really have to make that happen yourself. And and this is why I think Tales from the Loot is is such a wonderful system because it it actually um it enables that and it encourages that and it almost imposes that upon you. You know, you say to the player, right, you've got a scene now. Who do you want it to be with? And then they have to they have to improvise around that. And you, of course, play the NPC and and then stuff can happen. Usually it's good stuff. Sometimes it can be bad stuff. Um, you know, there's a, a fundamental concept called trouble. So there's no damage, there's no hit points. There's just trouble. And what trouble does is it can make you angry or scared or tired or injured. And these are just these abstract conditions. And once you have all four of them, your character is broken. <laughs> you literally will fail at anything you try and do. And then you need to, to heal, in inverted commas. Now, healing is also role-playing. Again, lovely idea. You don't just go and, and say, okay, I sleep for the night and I get my hit points back. You have to go and spend time with someone that you care about, nar uh, you know, in, in character-wise, narratively. And after spending time with them, your condition goes away because they've given you some kind of support, emotional, psychological, physical, whatever that is, they've given you that support. And that can be one of your friends, it can be, you know, if you're all together in the hideout, you can do that. It can be your family at home, or it can be this this particular NPC in your life called your anchor. And your anchor can be anyone. It's a person that the player chooses, creates, in fact. And that person becomes, you know, the person they go to when things are looking really bleak and grim and, and, and they spend time with them. And, and they evolve to be part of the everyday life stories as well. Um, the whole thing just fits together beautifully, like a like a well made um, like a well made puzzle. So, as you can probably tell, I'm a huge fan of Tales from the Loop, and I know it's it's actually not that dissimilar to some of the other um, Year Zero uh, free uh, systems that Free League designed and published. Um, in fact, that's that's one of the selling points is that once you've learned one of them, you pretty much know them all. But there are there are different nuances between the different ones. I think I, I've got the Alien RPG recently, and I really want to run that, but it looks quite a bit more complicated. So I'm going to have to spend some time. 
learning it. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think th- it's, it's very interesting. So I, I was saying that, that I felt like my group, <laughs> my long-term group from Los Angeles, I think, I think actually together we all, we all sort of flowered. <laughs> That's not too weird a word to use. We, I, I think we all came out of our shells and we all, we all found ourselves through this system which is a actually a really nice idea is that you know the chemistry the chemistry of individuals is is critical you know your group chemistry is critical but i think the system can also really affect how well you play together um and i don't know if we'll keep playing it long term um it feels like there is, in fact, by its nature, it's limited. Um, your character has to be, at least in Tales from the Loop, the first game of the series. There's a second one called Things in the Flood, where you're older. But you start off, you choose your age. You can be um, 11, 12, 13, 14, or 15. And depending on your age, you get a certain uh, it affects your attributes in some ways. You get you get more skill points as you're older, but you get less luck, which is a lovely idea. You know, as you get older, you run out of luck. <laughs> um, but then, once you get to 15, that's it. You're 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 no longer in the game. Um, you <laughs> you've graduated out of the game. So that there is a um, there is an, a built-in time limit. And and the way that the campaigns are organised, or the short campaigns are organised, is that time moves on. And and that's part of the beauty of it. Time moves on. Your your relationships change. Your your anchors change. Your your um, iconic items, the, the the object that you feel most attached to, that changes exactly like it does as when you're a child of that age, when things change so dramatically from season to season, let alone from year to year. Um, and I guess what it means is there that you can't really run a. a, a you know, ongoing forever campaign, you just can't. And it, and it doesn't seem to be really right to do that or designed in that way. Um, so we'll play it for a while. We'll, we'll, we'll keep playing it for a while uh, until we get to the end of, of the um, four, seasons of, uh, four Seasons of Madness. It's, it's probably, it'll probably end up being like 15 to 20 sessions, and then we'll see. Um, the interesting thing is I, I then ran it for a second group, another group of of lovely people from the Anchor Discord community. Um, they, they, were, they were exceptional, they were extraordinary. We, we ran um, our friends, the machines, and that was Jules from NZ, that was uh, Joe Richter, um, that was TJ Drennan, Liren, and Jeff. I think that's everyone, I guess. Um, and together we had a, a, an absolutely fantastic a few sessions um we couldn't play every week but we, we we were all committed and we got through to the end of the story and that was really interesting because there was a big contrast between that and and my long-term group these were a, a group of people who i i know somewhat i mean i i feel close to them all and i do know them somewhat but they're they're not people that i i've ever met in person or spent a lot of time with in fact most of them i haven't known more than a couple of months um, so there was a fundamental difference in feeling of that game between that game and, and, and the game that I ran with my long-term group 
with my long-term group, there was immediate, I think the synergies were immediately there between the characters. We, we knew each other's tics and tells and, and our quirks. And I think with the Discord, Anchor um, RPG Discord group that I played with, we had to kind of feel our way into that, even though some of them had played with each other. I played with a couple of them before as well. Um, but the, it, it, it took a little while for that chemistry to, to emerge. And I think also, as I, I think literally all of them are, are, are GMs, all of them are GMs and all of them have their own podcasts in that particular group. They were all extremely proactive. And by that, I mean, they were willing to take the story on and run with it themselves. And I have a bad habit when I'm running games that I talk too much. I know that as a GM. Um, I really try and listen to myself and try and not do it. But, well, hey, look, I've just released four podcasts in four days. So talking a lot is my thing. But with this group, um, I was I was much happier just to sit back and let them take it wherever they wanted and, and, and let them riff. And... and I think if you listen to any of the actual plays, because there are actual plays, both of um, the Four Seasons, the Summer Break one, and and Our Friends the Machines, the, the actual plays are up there. You, I think you'll hear a, quite a big difference in the style of play. I, I, I personally found it very fascinating to listen to it. I love running both games. They were both equally fun. Um, TJ and I were even talking about doing 20, the 20 years on um, uh, story where all of these characters they meet up again 20 years later and um, I think that would be hilarious I'm not sure how it would work mechanically because it's so much about kids and about the parents not or the adults not believing what's going on because it's just kids coming telling you crazy stories about robots in the woods and of course they're not going to believe them but um, but yeah that would be a great one Um Let's all meet up in the year 2000, as Jarvis Cocker said, um, when we're all fully grown. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's see if we ever get around to it. I think it would be quite something. So, yeah, that's, that's it for me for today. Um, there's probably more to come tomorrow, so hold on to your hats, guys. It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes